0: This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders.
1: Personally, I just try to produce minimum 5,000 bottles of each batch. Otherwise I do them on kegs and I serve them on festivals. Um, And it's a minimum and ideally it should be 10,000 so that everybody can reach it. There is no people complaining. And you, and, and you need to distribute in every, to every client in every country so that nobody is trying to buy that before, uh, uh, before the other people. So
2: that's, that's, the, that's also... Uh, so when the hype gets bigger, you will produce 100,000 bottles. of yogurt. No, no. I, I, how can you, also how can there, you there make 10,000 bottles? There cannot 10, be a responsibility
3: bottles. to be yeah. big. But it's also, how can you make 10,000 bottles of a beer if you have one hectare of trees?
1: <laughs> violence, violence. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then that's, you have to build the, the whole tree, and that's, the, this, uh, that's
3: another. Because uh, that's the thing. The they work work with fresh fruits from from this local is, this farmers. This is starting so. to
1: get really
4: interesting.
0: <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. So, today's podcast is a discussion with three of the more recent producers of wild and spontaneously fermented beer in Belgium. It's with Raph Suvrance of Bocca, Pierre Tilquin of Huserie Tilquin, and Tom Jacobs of Antidote Wilde Fermenten. Now, all three are based in different parts of Belgium. And that's important when we get into the topic of terroir. Raf is based in Hasselt in the province of Limburg, over in the east of Flanders. It's a city surrounded by fruit farms. Raf himself worked previously in a winery and there's a clear focus on local fruit in his blends. You know, grapes, cherries, raspberries, apricots. Pierre is based in Bierre, uh, to the southwest of Brussels, in a fertile agricultural region with gently rolling hills and bustling villages. He worked and trained at Cantillon, and he utilizes inoculated wort from five different breweries in his blends. He made his name with Tilquin Ketch, that's lambic, which is conditioned over an unusual ingredient plums. And then Tom Jacobs is located in Gortenaken, in Belgium's Hageland, a region in the eastern part of Flemish Brabant, between the cities of Arschot, Leuven, Tienen and Diest. The haag in Hageland is often mistaken to be the Dutch word for hedge, but the region is actually named after an old Dutch word meaning dense forest or undergrowth. Because of its fertile soil, the south of Hageland is known historically for its wheat cultivation, and just 23 kilometres south of Gorternaken lies Hoharden, a village associated with both saving Belgian wheat beer and spawning the style's most famous commercial brand. Now, Tom doesn't ignore that legacy. In every single antidote brew, he uses at least 35% raw wheat, which comes from the region. Now this conversation took place pre-Covid, back when it was okay to sit beside someone, back when it was okay to physically share a beer with someone. About a hundred people or so stocked up on some lambic and mixed firm beer and crammed into a tiny, old, beautiful theatre in Ghent, the and Pot, to listen to Raf, Pierre and Tom talk about terroir and about hype and wild beer and about their motivations. We also get talking About the politics of this type of beer in Belgium. And given that these guys are very, you know, three very different personalities, it does get very interesting. So, here we go sit back, listen, and enjoy these wild and spontaneous Belgians. We have uh, uh, Tom Jacobs of Antidote Will Fermentin. We have Pierre Tilquin of Huserie Tilquin. And we have uh, Raph Suvrens of Method Goat, the blendery formerly known as Boca Reder. So can you please make them all feel very welcome seeing <laughs> Pierre, you filled your barrels in the blendery for the first time in March 2009.
1: Uh, I started very simply uh, with uh, two uh, stockage plates and 222 barrels, and my production was 500 hectolitres a- around. Uh, and then I had a lot of chance, I could uh, grow rapidly and, 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 and sell all my production uh, easily. So uh, it's been, yeah. It's been fast and and and, and, and very enjoyable. It's uh, it was a, a great uh, journey, I would say.
0: And of course, before that, you were doing some other things. So you were doing uh, statistical genetics. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you were also studied in uh, bioengineering. Yeah. Um, and I think you also studied animal breeding? Yeah. <laughs> so how do you get from
1: statistical genetics to um, <clears throat> blending lambics? Uh, I think it's, it's something I understood after uh, making this choice. I was uh, I studied animal breeding, and I was not too bad at the university, so I was proposed to do a, a PhD and be a student assistant. So I did uh, g- gave some lessons of uh, uh, ge- basic genetics and uh, statistics and probability. And I did a PhD in statistical genetics, very theoretical, on, on computer models about statistics for ide- uh, the identification of uh, disease resistance genes and so on. It was very theoretical on computer with simulations. And after that I was, I was very fed up with research. I wanted to stop. I finished my PhD quite a bit with some difficulty, but uh, I did finish it. And... Um, and I wanted to come back to something more practical and I visited during my PhD I visited there Fontaine I visited Cantillon and I think and, and, and due, to, due to the, the my, my wife at that moment which is now my ex-wife I had to live in Brussels so and and, and visiting Cantillon is, is that it was giving a bit the, 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 the impression that you you are in a farm in the city. Like uh, like I like at the start the studying animal breeding, it was a bit like uh, starting uh, not animal breeding but breeding lambic I would say uh, in, in, in 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 by living in a city. So I started to to learn more about lambics and I and I and, and and my patient grew progressively and then I, I tried to to start a project. So there was a, a switch
0: that okay yeah. this is something that I would like to do. Yeah. So you also mentioned some breweries in which you had sort of internships <coughs> or some experience.
1: Yeah, I worked and there for six months in each year.
0: Did you also work in Brewery hoge Yeah. So Brewery Heuget is the producer of a beer called Delirium Tremens, which is in Mella, not too far from Ghent. Um how did you end up in hoge
1: and what sort of thing were you doing there? Well, uh, uh, with a PhD, you are you are not easy to it's not easy to find a job. It's a social reinsertion, I would say. So. Um, <laughs> So I sent something like 40 letters uh, and and the only one who accepted me was Eric Brewery. So they gave me a lot of chance to learn the job of brewing because I was uh, was, uh, uh, coming regularly. They said to me that there there would be a a post uh, soon and then I came regularly and then as I was there they hired me. So they gave me a chance to learn to brew even though it's not my preferred beer. They, They were very nice persons and I learned a lot there.
0: And then you mentioned Cantillon and Drifontaine. And so, what type of things did you learn specifically there when you were doing your internship?
1: I learned uh, uh, in each different way of blending, different way of brewing. Uh, and I did learn a lot uh, uh, also the use of the different lambics. So, I, I learned to taste to, to and, and use Bone lambic, Lindemann's lambic, and Girardin lambics at uh, Trifontaine. At uh, Armand uh, learned me a lot about blending, about uh, 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 so he learned me a lot about uh, cleanliness in the in the in the stockage place. Uh, he's, he's, he was one of the cleanest at that uh, in that period of time, and and so I did uh, quite copy a bit the same process, and and I learned a different way of working at Cantillon, a different way of blending, a more traditional or more, and it was very interesting both of them, and I decided to try to take the best of each. And, and, start, and start something yourself. and start something on my so own, you have the
0: passion and, you, and then you have this experience and then you start your own thing are you from the start Look, like I'm going to try to become a part of this group Horal, who are kind of trying to safeguard I guess the tradition of lambic production
1: um, or would, did that come later that, come, that came later. Yeah, I, I, I started a blendery because I realized with my specific character and, and my PhD asking always questions and so on that I couldn't stay in, such, in, in, in small breweries. I, was a, I couldn't stay at Trifontaine, I couldn't stay at Cantillon, so the only solution to work in a, such a small business was to start my own.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and you are the only um, Lambic uh, blender in the uh, Walloon region, is that yeah. correct? and the rest of the guys in Hural would be from the land and part of Flanders. Was there any resistance, or were they open arms welcoming you in as a new member?
4: (coughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: there was some some resistance. uh. I, at the start, I wanted to install my blender in Brussels, but uh, the, the, the the rents were too too high. My business plan was not holding, uh, and I had to find uh, lower rents. Uh, and so I decided to install my blender just at the border. Where, if you see at the back of the blender, you see the the wood uh, where you have the the the, the, the language border, and. And I'm in the Sand Valley, the French-speaking part of the Sand Valley, in fact. So, and as I say always, as a joke, I'm in the cleanest part after Colroyd is finished. So, uh, so I think I have the best hair. But, uh, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I had some resistance, uh, 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 but from yeah from Armand and Carol. But uh, after a certain time, they accepted me. Yeah, because
0: now you've become um, well one of the kind of spokespeople, I guess, for the group. One of the uh, uh, someone who um, sometimes issues statements and helps uh, at events to kind of be the face of Horal, along with Frank Bone,
1: yeah. who's the chairperson. But the, the, the chairperson is changing now, but uh, uh, is the new one will be announced soon. Who's who is that? I don't know. <laughs> can... Okay. Well, I, we'll, we'll, we'll I, don't, I don't know if I
5: can say it. I okay, know. no problem.
0: Um, uh, Raph, um, you come from a different background. Uh, you actually started out in the wine world.
2: Yeah. So, so,
0: tell me a little bit about working in a winery. First of all, and, uh, how, how it's different to working in a, in a sort of a lambic blendery. Uh
3: It's it's not so much different, and, and that's how I at some point made the transition. But how it all started is in uh, the place where I'm from, uh, Limburg, which is east of here, quite a bit east of here. Um, there's uh, several small wineries in the south of the province. Uh, there's the Hasselt uh, fruit region of Belgium. Um, so there several small wineries, and I got to know those people more than ten years ago. And I was just helping out there, and you know, picking grapes, uh, pressing grapes, filling barrels, fermenting wine, bottling, and that's kind of where I learned as a hobby uh, to to make wine. Were yeah.
0: you drinking? Lambic at the time. you were making wine, so there
3: was always an interest. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, when I when I got into college, that's actually when I started drinking craft beer, and then yeah, very soon after that, uh, it got into lambic and yeah, because it's the beer that's totally different from any other beers. And uh, my my father is a wine drinker too, Um, so yeah, we tasted wines together long before that. Before I started drinking beer as well, that's how I always had an interest in wine as well.
0: And and you know, take me through the moment that you say, you know what, I'm just gonna leave the wine world and I'm gonna open up a Lambic blendery. Uh,
3: well, that never, it happened by accident, kind of. Um, but at some point I was I was helping at a winery. We just uh, bottled the Foyette, which is a half-sized uh, burgundy barrel. So the full size is 228, half size is 114. Um, and after bottling that uh, wine, um, the winemaker told me, I'll just take the barrel with you didn't have a clue of what to do with it and he said go to, go to Brussels and go fill it with that lambic beer you're always talking about so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what I did the next day. I put it in my trunk and uh, I filled it here and there a little bit of lambic and yeah, it was very hard to get it out of the car at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly 114 yeah, kilos heavier. you start heavier, learning yeah.
0: the importance of logistics and transport and everything? No, I was,
3: I was not really thinking of what I was doing. I, I thought it was fun to fill a barrel of lambic of course but I had, had no, no space to put it even and um, my, the year before, my, my grandmother, she moved from her house to an apartment. Um, so that first barrel, we got it out of the car after a few hours and uh, we, we put it in the in my grandmother's bathtub, literally. It was just sitting there for a while. And yeah, I thought it was fun to have a barrel of Lambic, but I had no and, plan and what you, to do with it. You,
0: were you tasting these, the, you know, the products of this creative labour with the guys who you were working with in the wine yeah, sector? Yeah, yeah, what, the, what were they saying?
3: Uh, well, they, they say I mean, them because it's dirty and you know, it smells like infected, uh, infected wine to some extent with all the bread. And, you know, so is the, there
0: a snobbery from the wine world to the beer world?
3: Uh, not exactly. It, it, it really depends on, you know, if you're a winemaker, it depends on what style of wine you want to make. If you want to work in a more natural way and you allow the wild yeast to do their thing. Or if you want to work in a very controlled way where you add sulfites and God knows what to, to make a very clean fermentation of your wine. So, but but most of them are at least interested in it. They, they might not like it, but but you know, tasting lambic with them is, is, is interesting. And also, the the, the way I tasted lambic then was uh, I tasted it in a way that I was used to tasting wine through the lens I didn't, of a didn't of Approach a wine it as theory. a theory, but as more as a wine, like the analysis of like the mouthfeel and the acidity and and uh, you know the bitterness or tannins from the barrel and the woody character it might get from a barrel. So yeah, that's how it all started. Uh,
0: uh, you mentioned as well, you're from Hasselt, Borculo. Yeah. Hasspencow, yeah. yeah, yeah. which is one of the sort of the more prominent fruit growing regions in yeah. Belgium. Yeah. I mean, are you working in your beers with local fruit, or do you? Because a lot of a lot of a lot of you guys are all working with fruit, more, sort of ex- quite yeah. extensively. Mm-hmm. Do you do you like to go for the local stuff, or are you just trying to get the best quality you
4: could find?
3: Uh, the best quality local stuff. That's yeah. I really prefer buying directly from farms, and most of them are in, in the region not too far. There's also a farm actually in Pajotan and I also buy fruit from uh, because they have like exactly the varietals I want, the specific fruits. Uh, so I'm not limited to my region, but within my region we have like the some uh, cherries, it's a varietal of sour cherries. It's uh, in my opinion, and I tried every varietal I can find of course on lambing, I think that's for me quality-wise the best varietal you can get. And it's it's not abundantly uh, available because most of the cherry farms that still produce chero- sour cherries, which is already quite limited, they grow um, uh, Danish varietals or uh, like Polish varietals or I don't know exactly what it all is. Um, for because they give a higher yield, so you know there's more profit on your tree. Yeah. Johansm um, tends to be a little less uh, yield, but but the quality is absolutely amazing. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. The the kind of the, the title of this discussion um, has the word hype in it, and mm-hmm. um, you know your your bottles are generally fairly difficult for people to get. Mm-hmm. You distribute to a kind of a small number of cafes who you, who's, who've been with you from the start.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, in two thousand and sixteen, you won the best new brewery in Belgium uh, on the Rip website,
4: mm-hmm. and world, you've too. been
0: invited to a number of sort of. Uh, festivals where there's a sort of queues of lines of beer enthusiasts like Copenhagen Beer Celebration and certain other uh, festivals in the United States (laughs) I mean what were you expecting to encounter that kind of hype inverted commas around your beers and kind of what have you made of the reception of of what you're producing Uh,
3: well I I did not expect it obviously um yeah, it just happened because actually, it, like around that time when I when I first got invited to the to the big beer festival in Copenhagen, uh, around that time it was it was kind of in between a hobby and my job. Um, but around that time, it was also very difficult because I was I was producing beer and I was just piling it up and. Yeah, I, you know, it was too much for one man to drink and <laughs> so let's to go to Copenhagen. <laughs> and then those people in Denmark invited me and I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll come to your festival I have too much beer anyway. And uh, yeah, they, they bought it was like in my grandma's house what I told you, like in the left bedroom was was completely stacked to the to the ceiling with beer. And the left the, the one on the right was like my private stock of some things I also wanted to keep, but they basically bought a whole bedroom full of beer. <laughs> um yeah, and, 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 and that's where it started and that's where it kind of made sense as well because I could keep producing beer that, that, that summer because I was running very low on cash for, for buying all the fruit and more barrels and some tanks and some equipment I needed. And that's where it all started. And yeah, But if there's a hype, I, I never created it because I, I don't advertise, I don't do any marketing. So I just make beer and whenever I have beer, I, I sell everything I have. And um, I'm... Uh, I'm, in a way, very loyal to the first customers I had because it took a while before anyone was interested in my beer. And if those people want to buy as much beer as they can, I'll give them everything they want. Uh, So they always have first choice. Whenever a beer is ready, they have first choice. First seven or eight customers have first choice. And if they buy everything of certain batches, well, it's gone. But it's available at those places. It's abundantly available at those places then.
0: And what should we call your blendery?
3: uh well I am I am very limited in what I can call it but yeah I don't know so it so it doesn't um, have a name right now so
0: you were you were basically um <coughs> trading under the name Buckerader yeah and um a brewery in the region also of uh Limburg uh Cornelissen yeah um they have a brand called Buckerader which is kind of from their back catalog which is a uh, maybe a, an amber sweet Belgian ale from 1980s or something I'm not exactly sure yeah. but they effectively said hey Raf, that's our beer name mm-hmm. uh, would you please mind changing it
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, so at, at the time were you like I'm just, I just have to do this because you know, you've obviously built a name for yourself mm-hmm. and all the hard work you've done building up the brand mm-hmm. um, among beer enthusiasts so what was your sort of initial reaction when that email phone call letter came through
3: um, well, it's not, not particularly nice to hear that, but in a way they were right because they, they have a trademark on that name since 1985, since I'm born, basically, they have a trademark on it, so I was not making beer then, yet, so. Uh, <laughs> and and the,
0: the, the, the name you're kind of using temporarily is yeah. Method Goat, yeah, um, which will not be the permanent name.
3: No, 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 it's just a, well, it's, it's it's just uh, I figured out that name last last year, two years ago, and when, when some American brewers were yeah. you know, trying to call their beer Method Whatever, yeah. and uh, yeah, I had some shirt. I stole their logo basically of Method Goose, and I made it into Method Coaches for fun thing, and I had some t-shirts made with that logo on <laughs> and the name. Okay. So, you know, it was just to poke fun at those people and yeah. to poke fun. Yeah, I was just like making beers fun. Most the, days, the 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 term
0: Buckader is actually it, it would translate as something like. Billy Goat Rider,
3: Goat Rider yeah, and
0: it's yeah. an, a legend from the province of Limburg, actually.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's it's in different spots in, in Belgium, uh, Limburg, the Netherlands too. And there's like different regions that have their own stories. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's kind of an urban legend slash factual history. There's also yeah. some historical facts in there. Yeah.
0: So what will the name be?
3: Of the new name? I, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't that time to think about it. I'm still yeah, bottom beer. No. <laughs> I, I have better things to do than think about it, make. I still make beer, and the beer is still the same kind of... Well, it's just getting better, I think, but... Uh, yeah, but temp-
1: Temporary names can stay long. That's, that's it, yeah. Middle
3: also. Yeah, that's that's the that's the fear I have that it will actually stay. If, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah It'll stick and you
3: can't get rid of it. Uh, well I had to give up my email address and so I changed it to also to method go, I yeah. and, and and yeah. So now, I renamed now everything the Method go, It's is yeah. just temporary and yeah. I'm afraid it will maybe stick.
0: Tom, you're uh, you are producing uh, beer, wine and cider in uh, Kortenaken which is um, in uh, the Vlaams Brabant region. Yeah. But you're originally you were a philosophy teacher in Leuven mm. so can you tell me again how, how you
2: got filled that gap
4: <laughs> it's,
2: for, for me it's it's, it's it's pretty in the same line uh, I was I was studying uh, say some of the premises of, of modern society of modern philosophy and I, I I was somehow like, criticizing the, say the, how modernity became like a virtual program, you see, it with, like with Descartes. Like it's all about thought, like I am, because, because I think. Uh, and we've seen like whole modern culture is built on this virtual logic. So I was looking for embodiment of, of, of making things carnal. But if, when that is your critique, it's logical that you come, become somehow tired by just doing that in theory. So you want to embody these things. So when we moved to Kortenaken uh, with my wife 10 years ago, uh, we moved there because we had some space to do things ourselves. So provide for, for our own food, so our own meat and our own vegetables. And that's, that's also the same moment when I started homebrewing. Um, so,
0: but the homebrewing was was not so much a, a kind of a, a manifestation of beer geekery. It was more uh-huh. the value system
2: of let's try and make our own shit here. I had no idea about craft beer. Yeah, um, I've, I've never been too much. Of course, when I could try some special stuff, so I would do it. But I was just I was mostly drinking Orval. Okay. <laughs> but instead of just buying stuff, we just wanted us to, to make our own beers, just as we had our own factibles. That that's, that's how it started.
0: So I presume then that you're going out to the mm. shop and you're buying a packet of pure single-strain cultured yeast that mm. you can then mm. pitch
2: into your wort yeah. in a clean environment, yeah. right? That's how it started. <laughs> yeah? Okay. So yeah, you sure, want sure, sure, to sure, clean sure. top fermented beer? Of beers. course. Okay. In the beginning, you just want to... I had no idea about how you make beer. So you start learning and you, you start with the basics. So I think in the f- I, s- I think the first beer was a triple. Uh, which is logical when you're in w- w- Belgium ten years ago. But then I think we started after two years or so, we started adding Orval Drex. It's so like, hey, this is more interesting. I had no there was no like maybe like milk the or so, and there was no idea for me like I'm, I'm only on Facebook for two years, I think, or three years. So I, I had, it was more difficult to learn. So it was more slowly learning and seeing like, yeah, I like this more.
0: So so how would you describe your beers now? Mm. Like, how
2: would you describe the identity of what you're doing? The beers? Yeah. We tried to make, because uh, like, like Raph, I've been, especially like the last four or five years, more into wines, like natural wines, wines that are also made with indigenous yeast. So we try to make beers that are somehow inspired by the, some like, by more like Venice qualities. Um, and are,
0: are you kind of going out and capturing those yeast strains that you're using
2: yeah.
0: in your own local
2: terrain? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how, a little bit how you do The that. process, yeah. Um, w- what we do now, we have, a, we have a cool ship. So all the beer we make goes through the cool ship. But not all the beer is spontaneous. So one of the base principles is that we never buy yeast. So we have a house culture that comes from wild captures. So we captured it uh, from different places. But it grew into one culture over time because it's too difficult to keep maintain separate cultures and we've been using the culture now i think consistently for the last three years and it's working very well for us we lo- but it also it, it it shifts it changes a bit because we always go to the cool ship and we also use it for the winemaking we use it for the cider making but you get new input from these different I mean, is sources. That,
0: is that kind of sac with the element of lactobacillus?
2: Yeah.
0: Or how would you describe the character of it?
2: Yeah, we've never done uh, like a microbiological microbiolo- analysis, but like you learn like what's in it by just seeing how it performs. So we know like a wild Saccharomyces. If I look under a microscope, I see like all, all kinds of different shapes, and I have no real idea what it's what is actually there. Uh, so that can be several strains. Uh, we just know how it performs. So we know there's lactobacillus there, but we see, because we did some, I'm also pretty interested in, in herbal beers. We did some real grude beers, that means beers without hops, but then we see lactobacillus are going crazy. So they produce quite a lot of lactic acid, and it's a profile we don't like so much. So now we mainly use aged hops to limit those lactobacillus. That means we slow down, actually like in Lambic, um, the, the, the lactobacillus, and we favor pediococcus over time. So I guess pediococcus is in there from the way it behaves. Same time we know when we use that same culture after several like very hot beers yeah. in a non hop beer it produces again a lot of lactic acid in a quick so we know lactobacillus they like it it seems like everything stays in there it just depends on what conditions you create and then what organisms will thrive in those conditions
0: and, and raf we were talking a little bit about fruit as well yeah. and you grow quite some of your own mm-hmm. fruit uh, mm. you know in the sort of the back yeah, part yeah. Of, your, of your house where the, where the brewery is yeah. um, you're also trying to do that I guess without using pesticides or yep. sulfides yep. in production yep. um, that in itself causes sort of production challenges mm. and agricultural challenges so what fruits are you growing mm. and what are some of the problems that you encounter doing it in that
2: way? Mm. Uh, it's not a real farm. So it's like the production of fruit is, is like rather limited. But also that's why we, we want to keep our brewery. It's a very small endeavor. I think we have in total 80 barrels. And now we've like the place is packed. So we have reached our maximum. Uh, we have no plans to go beyond that. But like many of the batches that we make, it's just one, two barrels. So it depends on the fruit we can get. The, the main quantity for fruit that we have is, is uh, grapevines. So we, are, we have uh, some 10 different varieties, uh, in total just 500 plants. Now we're, we're planting a new vineyard this year, uh, I think six 700 new ones. Um, one of the main difficulties, of course, when you're doing Flanders, we have a humid uh, climate, so fungal uh, diseases. We try to to get a good um, like good biodiversity in the vineyard by growing different crops in between the rows uh, like that last year went very well because it was such a warm year we'll see how the f- how the future will go
0: uh, what about sort of more predatory insects that yeah. can ravage your yeah. you know crop in yeah. a matter of yeah. days
2: there's a it, it came into Europe, I think, five, six years ago. It's a Japanese fruit fly. It's called uh, Drosophilia Suzuki. And it's just, it just a tiny fruit fly. But it's, it's, uh, it's a disaster for all kinds of uh, soft fruits. Um, so we have a, our neighbor has a very beautiful old orchard of Gorsham Cricket, the one that Ralph told about. Two years ago, I could not pick one cherry because every cherry was just punctured so the fruit fly it lays an egg into the fruit and so because it's broken you get acetic acid and you can no longer use it at least no longer when you don't use any sulfides or that would kill the acetobacter that causes the vinegar we had two years ago the same with, uh, with the grapes. So the remedy was um, there are no natural predators. So we try to, for in the long term, to have all the biodiversity to attract a lot of different insects will, will cause a kind of equilibrium. But for the moment, because it is, it's an exotic animal, there's, there's no, no natural enemies. So we, we packed every cluster in a kind of clawed bag. So it's completely closed. So that's very
0: intense manual work on yeah. each. Yeah. So every single uh, vine
2: yeah on yeah. every single cluster even uh,
0: yeah and, i mean you're trying to keep everything in equilibrium yeah but uh that's that's must be quite frustrating at times right
2: because then it's because i see some monocultural vineyards they have less problems with it because there's no other fruits in the area we have all we have blackberries we have uh, raspberries all fruits that is ripe before so the colonies, they can reproduce. And then in September, when all the other fruits are done, they just go to the grapes. So we have like maximal damage. In the short term, we're losing. Yeah, okay. But the idea is like in the long term, we believe in, in just that you have a system that is very stable like a. Yeah, and I mean, and the type
0: of beer that you guys are producing yeah. is very much a long term game. Yeah. Um, and what does the name of the brewery is um, Antidote Wilde Fermenten. Yeah. So what does that mean?
2: The wild ferment, I think, speaks for itself.
0: I'm produ- uh, my Dutch isn't that good, but I guess it's wild fermenting. Wild ferments,
2: yeah. Because we don't, we didn't want to call it brewery. Because we also do the cider, we make wine. We also like to mix these kind of things up. Um, so we we see it more as the same. Like this, like the way we produce the wine and the cider is very similar as the way we we do the beer. And um, the antidote is. Uh, I think it's a, you understand it in, in antidote English Antidote is too? a
0: remedy to poison, yeah. yeah.
2: It's a bit of an antidote to say that modern culture again, I was referring to, that is, that's always about total control. There's a, there's a I think he's a, a Polish sociologist, Sigmund Bauman. He, he understands the whole the whole idea of modernity as a way of, of, of a weeding a garden project, where you have this typical Say modern uh, gardens we all see it in Flanders, where people have like to have their grass perfectly <laughs> trimmed and perfectly green, no dandelions, and so it's a kind of fascism because <laughs> yeah, because you, what you have to do there is you have to get rid of the weeds all the time you have to kill all the stuff that doesn't fit your program so your
0: your, your kind of internal struggle yeah. is to provide the antidote to that what you've just described even if it means dealing with the aggressive japanese fruit fly
2: yeah you have to to create a like an environment <clears throat> where everything is somehow in equilibrium
0: okay well, that's, that makes sense um so if we're going to talk guys about the future of Wild and mm. spontaneous and mixed fermentation beer. I guess we're going to have to define what we're talking about first. So, um, Pierre, what's what's Lambic? <laughs> 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 uh,
1: lambic, uh, <coughs> lambic is a, a beer of spontaneous fermentation um, that is brewed since... Uh, Many years, I would say, uh, 300 years, in in the region of uh, Pays and and Valley, in around Brussels, mainly. It was also brewed a, a bit in more in the north of Belgium. And uh, it's a, it's a beer which was uh, uh, obtained because there was a big uh, production of. Um, of wheat and in the region of Brabant, so they, they they decided to use some wheat with the barley malt, and, and yeah, they, it's a very ancient process of doing beer. So it's a bit the 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 origin of every beer. Every beer was uh, was going in a cool ship and was uh, cooled like that in the past, and it, it is the only beer which stayed. Um, in, in production uh, uh, until now. Uh, Only you know, beer of spontaneous fermentation which stays in production uh, until now. And so, yes, it's a very traditional beer from Belgium. So, its its
0: definition is kind of based around process and uh, terroir. Yes. So, um, Raf, if you were to have a brewery, for example, because you're buying Lambic produced in the Pyotlaland, which has been made to a a process specification. If you were to brew your own spontaneously fermented beer with 30% unmalted uh, unmalted wheat and long boil, aged hops, cool ship, aged in wood, would you be brewing lambic?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well there's an issue with your question because I cannot brew beer at all
4: so.
3: I don't know so you got if me I cannot on brew hysterical. beer I don't know what to call it I need to. Um, that's a good question that's, I mean it's, there's so many opinions of course will, will here. Tom,
0: Tom has a brewery yeah mm-hmm.
2: Tom do you brew lambic? Uh, we, we sometimes brew lambic but we don't call it lambic <laughs> <laughs> okay why not because uh, uh, with my brother, so what we do is together with my brother. Uh, so what's your brother's name again? Wim.
0: Wim. So you and Wim yeah. are on this yeah. project together. Yeah. 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 So
2: every Tuesday in winter season, he comes to brew together. We had a lot of discussions. In the beginning, I, I was maybe a bit naive. Uh, we said like, because we do several things, uh, so for like several beers. It's more and more evolving towards some one type of base beer. But we said like if we brew a lambic beer, a, what like what means uh, spontaneously fermented with uh, let's say thirty five percent raw wheat, aged hops, Derbyman and so, yeah, this is a lambic, because we were just talking about like sales. So
0: you're, you're saying you're saying process yeah. is the important part of it, not
2: terroir. No, but we, we had the idea like we would call it among each other. Like sometimes like we, we do a saison, or we we we, we do a lambic. And I, I wasn't really thinking about, yes, it's, it's just a beer style. And when we make that beer style, why would not we not maybe in the future call it like that? But then more and more when I just discussed with people, I came to realize, because I was not a beer geek, I came to realize that Lambic is, is not just a style, it has become like a religion.
4: <laughs>
2: and when we have this religion, you have all these officials who are like... And it's always with like, officials, there are a lot of, lot of things involved in that. It's like, and if there's one thing I don't like, it's, like, a cl- club logic. Like, that, and, and put things in boxes. For us, it was just a name. Like, you make a coach. It's, like... Coach style. Coach style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do Lambic style. <laughs> But it's, it was not meant as a box. It was just like a, like a style category.
0: Yeah, but yeah. So you're referring to it as a yeah. um, a, 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 a guideline for an educated consumer who yeah. can more easily understand what is in the bottle. Yeah. But for example, Pierre, if you um, picked up a bottle of antidote and it said lambic on mm-hmm. it, would you feel that that's a correct description of what what's in the beer in the bottle? If the process specifications were, for example, the same as some
1: producers in the Piotenlands? If he's in Brabant and in Belgium, I, 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 we have nothing to say, I would say. So, so for so, you, the the terroir question is about Belgium? Belgium and, and ideally a zone of uh, around Brussels and Piotenland and, and, and saint Valley. So, uh, yeah, because there are
0: obviously there's a long as you said, tradition of Lambic and Huse in Belgium. You, you look at uh, Brauere, Omer, Van Hinste, Van Honsebruck, they produce what they call Huse um, you have Rodenbach were producing saint George Huse up until 1970, they're in Rousselade, which is certainly not in the Pyoteland. so is it something that belongs to Belgium or is it something that belongs to Piotreland and
1: Santa Valley If you look at the history of the producers of Lambic, it's more it's more linked to the Pyoteland and and, and Brussels and, and saint Valley. and I think he, he, Tom said the word style. As, uh, lambic is a style. I think you have many different styles, but I think l- that lambic is just uh, more than a style. It's, an, it's a traditional beer which has a long history, and, and I think it's a bit different. It's just a style. It's, it's, it's not just a beer style that everybody can do in around the world. I think, but uh, yeah. It's 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 a bit different from just the style, it's a bit more linked to the the, the terroir.
0: If you had a brewery, for example, in, say, I don't know, Texas or something, and they were brewing... (laughs) (laughs) They were brewing a beer which was, say, you know, using a high proportion of unmalted wheat, doing a turbid mash, you know, all the process specifications were on the head, and you know they were producing this, you know, very rounded, soft, you know, lactic-forward, spontaneously fermented beer, which was a blend of two of their base beers, or three of their base beers, in a particular age that was re-fermented in the bottle for a particular <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> um, is is that lambic?
1: I don't think so. No. Because it's a lambic-style beer, uh, lambic-inspired. Uh, it's a beer inspired by lambic tradition. Mm. Uh, and we had a lot of discussion with the people of Jester uh, King and, uh, and I participated to this discussion by mail and uh, and then uh, uh, we, we, with uh, Frank Bone and with uh, Werner from Dreyfontein and Armand and we had a meeting with uh, uh, Jeff from Jester uh, King and yeah, our position is that method uh, goes was a bit uh, a name which was a bit too too powerful I would say to the so just, just for people that
0: maybe aren't aware they, they released a kind of a, a, they wanted a quality mark essentially to say this is produced in this way in, in deference to the Belgian process and it was called Method Huse. Yeah. and your, your objection was that you're using the word Huse which is not doesn't belong to you
1: that was our position that uh, goes. Uh, if 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 the name method goes, was uh, uh, if people were starting using the name method goes, then everybody would do that in the future. Like the people from uh, uh, Abin Bev, uh, I don't know this American brewery, which is doing a lot of stout in barracks and so on. They could do very large scale and invade the market with uh, beers with the name goes, and 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 there would be. Um, there, it could be everything. There would be no. There is no. European commission for controlling like we have hodegers uh, there is no control and it could be everything uh, when you when you speak to an american brewer he has a sour barrel in the corner of his uh, and he says it's my lambic and it was just a contaminated brew so um, so i think we have to be to be a bit, uh, uh, okay. and, and is,
0: is the fight also going on at home as well? Because there are producers of Lambic and Huse in Belgium who are not um, uh, holding the standard of process specifications that perhaps even some of the American brewers are. So, I mean, is there a fight to be had at home to try and safeguard this fantastic tradition
1: of Lambic production? It's true that we have some discrepancy between... Uh, what we say to if we say if we have some some how do you say that some 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 strange situation in Belgium with some sweet uh, producers of sweet girls and and producers of uh, old girls uh, but um, I think I would say that the sweet girls is, is also a bit historical. It was a bit the a uh, product that uh, that came after the Second World War. Uh, we we discovered Coca Cola, we discovered sweet beer, sweet drinks and so on. And people were looking for sweet stuff, and then they started to sweeten the girls. And, and at that moment, the girls was very sour. The process was not so clean, so it was very acidic. They had to sour the, to sweeten the, the the beer. And so we have uh, the at the on the on the same market we have two type of beer that are different with the same name. Uh, and it's a bit um, difficult to defend, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think they have uh, they have their place on the market. It's also an historical product, uh, and 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 we that's why we de, we we at Oral, they started to to name to to, to have the appellation all the that they asked for the from the European uh, Commission uh, Union, and. Um, and I think it's a very nice, it's a good name for making the difference between the the new one and sweeten it and the, the traditional one.
0: Absolutely, um, and you know, in in Belgium, of course, there are um, complicated politics to everything, and there's obviously a lot of politics within the Hooger Raad voor Ambachtelijke the High Council um, for artisanal lambic beer, just this year, or last year, I think, two members left, mm. Drifontaine Fontaine and Girardin, and, uh, of course, Brassi cantillon haven't been involved for some time. So, uh, it, Horal exists to protect the, the, the kind of tradition of Lambic, but there's, there doesn't seem to be too much agreement on... Uh, why did those guys leave if the organisation exists to safeguard what they're doing?
1: I'm not sure I'm there for the, giving the reasons why they left, but the, the the position and official position was that the the values are not in agreement with uh, what uh, with with the values of Oral. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a definition thing again about what Lambic is. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's also uh, a bit. Uh, it came to a moment when when yeah, when lambic is going is growing. We every, everybody can sell his production, so they feel the, the necessity to to go alone, and they don't need anymore to be part of a group. And that, we found that very sad, and, and I and I had a lot of discussion with the people of uh, uh, of Drifontaine, not Girardin, because they were nev- they they they've, they've never been uh, very active members. But yeah, I found, very, I found that very very sad and, and Armand was the founder of Oral, so I didn't understand anything uh, at all why he left. Yeah. Uh, I Raph- know some reasons, but there are all many different small reasons.
0: Uh, Raf, whenever you um, um, get some Antidote, Lambic-style bass beer in and you blend it with your, your Girardin and the rest of the stuff, are you going to put... what are you going to call that beer?
3: Well, first Thomas to brew beer for me and then we can mm-hmm. talk. I, I I don't know. But I, I, he are, are didn't, you can brew of, beer for me yet. So. Are,
0: are you kind of um,
3: um but actually careful yes. about
0: what, what you what you call the beer uh, given the kind of political
3: well <laughs> if it's lambic I call it lambic. I just just yesterday I got in uh, a batch of wort from uh, Den Herberg which is a new producer of lambic. Yeah. Is that lambic or not? Uh, Well, we'll ask those people first what they define it as, and if it's lambic, then yeah, I can use it in a goose and call it beer goose, and or fruit lambic. So you're basing it on what
0: they what they would define it as.
3: Yeah, but that's I mean, so far they call it lambic, and I think it's produced in the same region, and it. it uh, complies to all the uh, rules oh, of the. Oh, uh, the
0: Hamburger certainly in the Pelteland, they're just yeah, right Yeah, yeah. I
3: think so too, and I think the recipe and everything, and it sounds all sound and safe to me, and, and it's a really good Lambic. The old Lambic they so far sold in Bag and Box is fantastic beer. Yeah. Uh, but it, I also sometimes I use uh, Saison, so I blend beers with Saison too, and, and then I just put on the labeling a blend, uh, on the label, on the back label, it says a blend of Saison and Lambic beer. Uh, so. Yeah. And if it's only if it's if it's without fruit I call it goose. Bottle fermented then and but I, I, I don't call it Oda or Oda or
0: So you are like careful enough about how you would
3: Yeah, I, I make beer. I don't I don't like you don't get politics too much. So mm-hmm. the whole odor thing, it's very odor already, okay. um, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it with that. I have a, I have a it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, because I, I think it's good the way they made a differentiation between uh, goose of whatever sort and possi- possibly sweeten and stuff, and they defined eau de as exactly being that traditional product, it's fantastic, I think. But if I want to put eau hues on my bottles, I have to, I guess, uh, uh, ask permission from some, I don't know exactly how it works, so I just call it goose, which I think so far is fine. Recently, someone told me it's not even fine to call it yours because yeah, there's so many reasons and opinions, but nobody clearly defines. And I think and, that's and, that's part of the
4: problem.
0: Yeah,
3: and, and there's this ongoing discussion. You know, like we, we can we can you know we're Belgians, we can discuss about everything right. and disagree on everything. Well, so. I think
0: you know I think we're all we're all kind of um, uh, quite respectful to the tradition, and we all yeah. um, enjoy you know traditional lambic beer.
4: Yeah.
0: Um. So I guess like turn into where we're going in the future. Um, I'm interested to hear where you guys see like the challenges for it um you know because it's it's an agricultural product and we have um some changes in climate change which in the kind of the mid to long term are going to be quite serious which will impact on you know those natural fermentations in terms of temperatures and the seasons that you brew there's been a lot of um um for want of a lack of a better word, big beer, sort of uh, big big brewing companies, who have now got into buying um, craft breweries and small breweries, um, which changes the way that those guys uh, look towards their process, um, which may also be uh, shortcuts around around certain things. What do you guys see as the, the 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 challenges for sort of the the improvement of quality and the continued you know, thriving of this beer style, Tom?
2: Take your time, Tom. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. We just know what the challenge is for us right now. Uh, it just, to maintain, because we have the rules that we play with, it's just our own, it's not about lambic, it's just their own quality control, and um, so you're you're approaching it more
0: on an individual basis rather than on, you know, you've got too much to do to be worrying about safeguarding a
2: style of beer. Oh, that's not an issue at all because yeah. we, it's it's for us. Much, but I'm just thinking more more
0: I- generally about sort of how you see it going on a more global scale on a global
2: on a global scale. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think when we, Ralph and I, we came together by car, we were just, like, I feel m- m- I, get, I have a better connection when I talk to winemakers, like natural winemakers who just work with nature every day. than with, say, the big craft beer scene, that's a, I have no connection. I don't know where it's going. I see just many breweries and I don't want, I wouldn't want to be in their position. Because that's a very it's a very competitive market uh, where people have to work very hard. Startups with low prices bringing out another IPAs that would be I could never drive in that. That would be way too stressful and it's um, so we just take it more slowly and it's I feel just to be it, it's nice just to be like somehow on the margin of that. We don't like we are not abs- we're not with newness it's not a thing but at the same thing traditionalism is also another thing for us
0: so because of the fact that you know what you're doing requires time mm. and moves slowly mm. that also you're saying protects you from worrying about immediate
2: change You yeah. just have to get the work
0: done that's uh, just have to get the work done yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Ralph what are the the biggest dangers for the type the, the type of things you guys are doing do you think
3: uh, for me I, I, I think I kind of share Tom's opinion I, I you know I'm, I'm nobody to talk in name of the industry or the Lambic beers it's up to Oral. for me yes, you know, I have so much work to do as far as, as I can keep my production going and the floor clean and very happy and you know, global problems for this it's a small it's a very small style of view anyway. right absolutely Belgium it's is a niche. small yeah. country in the world but it's because
0: it? it's nation, because it's small that yeah. you know it can easily disappear perhaps and maybe there was a time in the past where it yeah. almost did yeah yeah of course so that's course. why I'm kind of I mean Pierre do you have any yeah um, I don't
3: think we should just keep the quality up so quality is, is the, key that's, that's the key. That's the key to everything, I, I think. And that comes with
0: education as well.
3: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and, and quality and rarity, and then it sells. Sorry? Rarity also sells. Gravity. Rarity. Rarity, rarity. yeah. But is that something manufactured? I mean, I, I, was, I, I was thinking about the fact that, that the future of, of, of small producers is bright, in fact. Because we, uh, if you produce a small batch, you can sell that in a second. So I mean, if you sp- if you produce very small amount of beers, I mean, if you sp- do a small batch, then every geek uh, wants a bottle. So the more rare the beer, the the, the, the faster you can sell it. So it's a bit, uh, fine, I've, I've, it's a strange position. Uh, uh, the, the I call that the beer geekization or untaptization of the market. People are always looking for new beers now, and and they, when they have one, then they. They they want another one. So people like Tom and Rafa they can sell everything they want. No, there are certain small beers
3: I make every year and yeah, but, people don't as far as I know, people don't get tired. It's just some customers who, who don't particularly like that specific yeah, beer and they will they're, maybe they're, not order it again. But yeah, yeah, but with the,
1: with the volume you produce of these beers, there is so many people that never <coughs> tasted it that, that can be interested to taste it. So yeah. maybe, uh,
2: but, I mean, but it, it, it's, it's, true. It's, it's something that worries me too. Because we just started selling. I know I never sold anything uh, since recently. But then you see, like, we have to work very hard just to avoid that, just, that it's just a group of beer geeks who jump on it. Because we want to do something in the long term. And I'm very scared about hype stuff. Because, you know, today this is the hype, tomorrow something else is the hype. Mm-hmm. So we, we put quite some time and effort and just making sure the bottle ends up with someone who's never heard about it but just like someone in the restaurant say like maybe you like to drink this cider with it okay it's good like the cider people happy but that that takes a lot of effort just to because it's it are very small batches make sure like 20 bottles go to this restaurant and 20 bottles go to that restaurant but at the same time you make it like Available would people just want to drink something nice with their with their dinner.
1: Yeah, but you. I, I don't want to criticize any any both of you, but uh, I think by by we have a big responsibility in the in the issue uh, that is happening now. For for example, the sales of uh, of bottles on eBay at crazy prices. Mm. By 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 producing rare beer, we create the problem ourselves uh, because we. If, we, if, we, if there was enough beer of, of a, of a, of a, of a sort on the market, there wouldn't be people could reach it. And uh, so when I, when I hear some colleagues uh, saying that, uh, complaining that their beers were, were sold at crazy prices on eBay, then I said, uh, if you produce only 1,000 bottles, then, then you create the problem. Yeah, but that's so not the reason yeah, for not longer
2: yeah. producing rare beers. Yeah. I've also uh, no, seen but, people reselling it, 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 it. I contact them individually and tell them it's not meant to be resolved. If people s- keep
1: doing that, we no longer sell beer to them. So it takes some extra yeah, effort to avoid that. It will, will a lot, lot of, of uh, energy mm-hmm. to know the credit card number, to know every name, yeah. and it, it's, uh, it's, uh, you can't control that. You have mm-hmm. something else to do than that.
0: But this is a problem that's, I guess, not new in Belgium. Um, for example, Calteon have been... Um, Dealing with you know the black market and the overpriced selling of their beers for quite a, quite a long time, um, since they've become more and more popular as well. Um, but are, are you are you kind of suggesting that the p- small producers, including yourself, have more of a responsibility to ensure that those bottles don't end up on no, either? No, no,
1: not, not small producer. Every small producer has to start from from some somewhere. So it's not possible to grow uh, directly, but. Uh, when when I see some bottles of Cantillon reaching crazy prices, but I, I think, um, yeah, f- personally I just try to produce minimum five thousand bottles of each batch. Otherwise, I do them on kegs and I serve them on festivals. Um, and it's a minimum. And ideally, it should be ten thousand, so that everybody can reach it. There is no people complaining, and you and and you need to distribute in every. To every client in every country, so that nobody is, is trying to buy that before, uh, uh, before the other people. So that's that's uh, that's also. Uh, so when
2: the hype gets bigger, you will produce hundred thousand bottles of beer No, no. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: <laughs> how, can you, also, how can you? There, make there cannot 10, be a responsibility bottles. to be
3: yeah. big. But it's also, how can you make ten thousand bottles of a beer if you have one hectare of trees? <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. They have to put the whole tree, and that's the, that's, uh, that's, that's
1: another. Because uh, that's the thing. They work they're with from,
3: fresh fruits from from this local is, this farmers. This is starting so. to
0: get really interesting. <laughs> guys. But I I, 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 do want to give these guys a chance this, just to ask some questions. Um, and yeah. my last question is, um, my second last question is, um, when do can we expect? Because I know you guys will have to work on the blending and everything. But when can we expect the the Method Goat Tilka antidote collaboration to
4: to the <laughs> stores.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one nice day Frank Bond gives his blessing over it. <laughs> official oral invitation. invitation. You don't need any blessing no. of Frank Bond. Exactly. <laughs> no, just kidding, of course. Yeah. And if <laughs> you got mine, so. Might so so It might be fun, out. actually. I think it'll be a lot of Cause, fun. Because I think we have, we we each have our own very different style of blending. Mm. Uh, It'd be nice. Yes. It's. Uh, but um, I think the they course. should brew also. That's yeah. important. They should be there ah. at brew day. Yes, <laughs> but if this guy wants to make ten thousand bottles, then uh, I'm yeah. like, no uh, do
4: <have> <laughs> The
3: brewer is and complaining f- to the blenders <laughs> about they're not doing any be Twelve brew days. I-, I cannot brew beer. You can, but yeah, you. Don't have we'll we'll work days. out the details, in, the details in the interval. If someone um, can brew um, a beer
0: for First us, of all, um, <laughs> there, there's a microphone both upstairs and down here, and Owen will uh, get to you uh, as quick as he can when we seize the hands. So if you could just again speak directly into the microphone and uh, ask your question, just so we can we can hear it pretty clearly. So you can put your hands up. There we go.
5: Don't you s- just see the problem as uh, on, uh, which, well, don't uh, produce that much beer into the market. Uh, uh, and they are still very hyped and sell in other countries, even though they are supposed not to, for to type uh, 150 euros per bottle. Uh, so it's it's just like uh, you, you produce a good beer and it's sold at whatever price the market bears. So you you produce
0: small quantity of beer that's quite good, and you know the market will pay. So is is that that's a fact? How do how do you, you can't prevent it? Essentially, is that is that the point?
5: Yes.
3: Well, to, yeah, to, to, you cannot prevent it 100%. Sure. But in, in in my case, my bottles go to bars, and the name of the bar is on the label, and I ask them to not sell it as a closed, as a sealed bottle and to not resell it to any other places and that's how I try to keep it under control but there's, there's you know in the, in the world and the system we live in you cannot 100% prevent that from happening those things so, so what are you going to do? I would rather spend my time on making more beer than chasing people who sell bottles there there. So.
0: anybody else got a question?
5: Thank you. Um, uh, I've heard Pierre uh, saying the words taptization or beer geekization of the, the beer market. Um, and nowadays, a lot of costu- uh, consumers uh, tend to want some something new every time. Um, and you have to release a lot of new beers and new flavors, new fruits to get them, uh, to keep them interested in your beers. Um, with my background, I've seen uh, a lot of restaurants tending to modernize their, uh, their way of cooking and everything. And I want to keep the, the people attracted with new styles, new flavors, new way, uh, methods of, of cooking their, their products. But nowadays, it's like for in Belgium, it's hard to find a, a good steak and fries for some good beef stew. Uh, and people tend to go back to the original way of cooking, and they're still happy to find some places where they still have traditional uh, food. Do you think that it's uh, it's something that people are, are getting to go back to these traditional beers? And, and within a few years, we'll see people just asking for uh, regular goods and, and, and having their uh, straight lambics like they used to have uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, are we going to go back to the the, the, the regular uh, flagship beers of, uh, of the brewings, and then uh, get the more speciálicas to the background? I don't know.
1: I, I don't know myself neither. Uh, I, I hope. Uh, I'm happy to see some people coming and buying just a case of Goose, uh, because uh, but they are they are fewer and fewer. And I, I, I had some more stock of Goose this year than 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 every other year. So. I, I've, I had some stock left, so I hope that people will come back to the tradition, to the to the simple ones. Yeah, but I consider the goose is my best product. So that's the one I, in which I put the more energy to try to get it uh, improved. But uh, yeah, I think it's a bit. Uh, I need some. We need some in my business. I don't speak for uh, all uh, my colleagues. In my in my uh, uh, blendery, I need to. To propose some 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 new food varieties to attract the people and maybe they, they will come back to the gus after or if there is no more there is there is no more specialties available then they buy a goose or they buy a, a standard uh, quetch or a mure, and 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 i think that, that that can help to people to discover something this hype stuff and the fact that they are uh, getting geek and and playing on untapped but uh, I hope so that they, that they will come, that people come back into the traditional one. But I think that's still a tendency we see in Belgium. People in Belgium, I, I'm selling more in Belgium by every year. So I think there is a... a, a people are coming back to these traditional beers progressively in Belgium, but uh, it takes time.
0: Okay, time for one more question.
2: Anyone upstairs? They're all good, <laughs> everyone. I think... Um, I was going to abuse my position as absolutely. my co-owner, if that's all right. Uh, Tom, may, this is maybe a question more specifically for you. You talked about the decision to start brewing was connected to your decision to move to the farm and to start self-producing. Where did the decision come from to start commercializing the beer then? What was the spark that decided where you thought, let's try and sell this and see if we can? After a while, when you get so deep into a hobby, that's, uh, that's the only thing you can keep thinking of. I was, I was teaching philosophy uh, at the Hogo school, but like the last two years it was getting more and more of, like just to drive there every day like it didn't work anymore. Uh, and then we decided like let's give this a try um, And from the moment, I also quit my job. Uh, it's, it's a very small brewery, but I thought like we have to do this like with our full heart and put all the energy into it just to make it work Um, and we decided from 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 the from the day one just to do it as a small i believe also like not just in brewing in in everything i think things have become too anonymous too big so to do it on a small scale and also maybe you talk about responsibility but it's also a bit of a selfish thing like i want to do my thing i don't want to work with too many people i don't want to run it as a Huge organisation or enterprise I just I want to have fun with my own That, that leads perfectly <laughs> into my last question Do you enjoy what you do?
0: <laughs>
1: a lot <laughs> Pierre do you enjoy what you do me too a lot yes I, I work crazy hours but I like that mm. Ralph do you enjoy what you do same I work
3: crazy hours and I love it
0: And <laughs> <laughs> um, could everyone please um, join me in thanking my guests mm. Raf, Pierre and Tom and uh, thank you very much give them a round of applause <laughs> Thanks to Leander Moores for audio recording and editing, to Mike Kearney and Dave Wallace for the writing and recording of original music, and to Visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast. I'm also grateful to the Tin and Pot Theatre for hosting, and to Owen Walsh and Matisse de Stacker who helped pour beers in the evening, and also to Sophie Callewart who shot the photography. Thanks to everyone who came along to the recording of this live podcast. You know, It was a, a fantastic evening and I hope we can do it again when it's safe enough to host public gatherings and events. And thanks also to you now for listening. You know, We really appreciate your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast. Share it with those you think might enjoy it and review the Belgian Smack podcast and whatever app you use to listen. Please, it really does mean a lot to us. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do.